Welcome to the Boost Your Boutique podcast. I'm your host, Emily Benson, corporate merchant turned boutique owner turned consultant. I want you to start, grow, and scale your boutique business right here with me. If you're ready to master your mindset, margins, and marketing, you're in the right place. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Boost Your Boutique Podcast. It's Emily, and I am so excited to finish up my three-part series about Lula Rich, the Amazon Prime video series. Being someone who experienced pre-LuLaRoe, during LuLaRoe as a consultant, and then post-LuLaRoe, well, I guess it's not over, but <laughs> post-hype LuLaRoe, um, as in now, it has just been very interesting to me to watch everything that's gone down. To be honest with you, how much it's affected the boutique industry. I had my first boutique in 2011. I've been around the block a little bit here. Some of the problems that we are experiencing today in 2021, soon in 2022, uh, we just didn't have back in the day. And I'm really aging myself and I'm being that silly person who's like, well, when I was young, but really, truly, when I was a, a new boutique owner, there's a lot of things that like we just didn't have to deal with that you guys have to deal with today. And I don't envy you. And and listen, in a lot of ways, you have it even easier. There's a ton of support online. I mean, gosh, like just my YouTube channel alone, I wish I had that when I started. Um, and I came from corporate retail. I had worked in, as a merchant in corporate retail for many, many years before I decided to open my boutique. I took classes at the Fashion Institute in New York on how to start your own boutique. I, I, I really got educated before I started, but there just weren't the resources that there are now. And there certainly was not the software we have now. I mean, Shopify was not a thing. I look at Shopify and I'm like, gosh darn, if I had that, I'd start a boutique in five seconds. Because when I was using Volusion back in 2013, I think it took me like three weeks to upload all my products. And oh, it was such a disaster trying to launch an online store. And now it's like, so easy. I mean, we didn't even have a square back in 2011. I had to like work with like a credit card processing company that my aunt like knew the woman who was a rep for. And they like, luckily they had a random app that I could use. But I mean, it's just just so much easier now to open a boutique. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing as well across the industry. And I think LuLaRoe has kind of affected that. And, you know, again, if you haven't listened to my other two episodes, I would definitely go back and listen. I talked about uh, what LuLaRoe did right, what they did wrong. And on this episode, I'm going to dive into how it affected the boutique industry. And I guess this is going to be kind of a little bit of a perspective too of, you know, the past 10 years in the boutique industry, like what has changed and uh, how different things are now. And just to be honest with you, how many more people want to get in the game? Like, it's really interesting. That said, I still think there's plenty of people dropping out of a game every day. I mean, gosh, even when I was starting out, there'd be people in it for a year and gone. And I'd be like, wow, you spent all that money on that truck and that storefront and boom, you're just gone with the rise of LuLaRoe. So just a little timeline too. You know, I started as a corporate merchant at Abercrombie & Fitch in 2005. 
when I graduated from college. And I worked for Abercrombie. I worked for Henry Bendel slash L brand. So like Victoria's Secret, I did projects for the pink brand um, and Victoria's Secret. Uh, Who else did I work for? Club Monaco. And I worked for Delia's. Yes, the Delia's of the catalog. I lasted there for about three months. And then I was like, bye, I gotta go. Gotta go start the fashion truck. See you later. Uh, I started the fashion truck in 2011, like very early 2011. Closed my store, sold my truck in 2016 and started consulting full time. So that's what I've been doing. That's where you are now here with Boutique Training Academy and my podcast, Booster Boutique. So I've been around for a long time and in multiple different facets of the retail industry. Um, And it's really interesting to me because, you know, there's some things that just never change. the trends always come back. And I remember my boss saying this to me when I was like 25 or something. He's like, oh, Emily, slap bracelets will come back. And of course they did. And, you know, I'm sure they'll come back again. (laughs) It's interesting. The longer you're in retail, the more you see that a lot never changes. I will say there's definitely a lot that has changed with the rise of kind of direct selling multi-level marketing companies like LuLaRoe popping up, like Agnes and Dora, Um, And really, you know, getting 120,000 people into selling clothes. Like, that's wild, right? (laughs) I mean, like, never before have we seen something like that. Um, And I don't know if we'll ever see it again, frankly. I think it was like a really interesting blip in time. And listen, maybe in 10 years, I'll be eating my words. You know, listen, things come back around. They always do. I do think the model of LuLaRoe is really interesting. And I think the way it's affected the boutique industry has been also good, bad, who knows, But we've seen some really awesome stuff happen and we've seen some really rough stuff happen. So, you know, I think that before LuLaRoe, vendors had a really easy time delivering product. Yes, there was people who canceled their orders. There were people who backed out, you know, after going to a show, uh, bought a bunch of stuff and then called and canceled a bunch of it, which if you are in my world, please do not do that. Go and be prepared at shows to buy what you need to buy and do not do that to vendors. It's not nice. Uh, but, you know, that's that's never changed. That's always happened. Still had all the shows we have now. We had magic. You know, we have all that stuff. We've always had that. But what's changed is I think with vendors, because there's been such a mass exodus from the LuLaRoe's and the Agnes and Dora's and, and exodus in also the top tiers of the company where they had huge audiences. These women had, you know, 100,000 people on their Facebook page. To be honest with you, having to put that pressure on the supply chain in the boutique industry has been really difficult. I think that combined with the pandemic, it's been really hard for vendors. I really feel for them because not only are they getting huge orders and having to keep up with them? They're also still having to deal with the people who cancel all the time. And then they're having to deal with supply chain issues, you know, especially from overseas. And now we're seeing like shipping ports getting backed up. I mean, I don't envy anyone who does wholesale at this point. I think it's a really tough place to live right now. To be honest with you, I think some of that is due in part to a lot of people coming from direct sales um, and LuLaRoe and placing these massive orders. I look at companies like Judy Blue and Cello, just for example, these denim companies, they were tiny. Like in 2015, 2016, when I started shopping with clients, going to more markets and doing more consulting, I always I always went to Fame, which is now called Magic, in New York City. That was always the show I went to uh, for my own boutique. And I never sold denim. It was just not something that 
I wore or loved. And in the Northeast, denim's just not as big as it is kind of in the South and the Midwest. I was always interested in, in learning more about denim once I started consulting with more boutiques who sold denim. And I remember going to the like Judy Blues and, and cellos like 2015, 16, 17. And they were still pretty small. I mean, their, their booths were on the smaller side. They were, you know, a little bit of a row. Uh, they had, you know, they had a good amount of styles, but they were still really small. And I was just at Magic a couple months ago, and like Judy Blue has this huge booth now. Cello has a huge booth, and I like it's packed. And you know, I'm so happy for them, and it's been such huge growth. I also like feel so bad because like how, how are they keeping up? There's a lot of vendors who are probably really overwhelmed having to adjust to these new levels of volume and the supply and demand has just become completely different than it was before. So I think the flood of new boutiques has really overwhelmed vendors. If you were a consultant in direct sales or maybe you are and you're thinking about leaving or whatever, I think you've learned a lot. I think you've learned sales. I think you've learned marketing. I think you've learned customer relationships. I think you've learned shipping. There's also a lot of your education that is just a chunk missing. I found this with a lot of people that I consulted with who were leaving. It kind of like it became a thing I did where like someone was leaving a direct selling company and they'd come to me and I'd be like, great, I'll coach you through opening your store. Um, and I kind of taught them where the holes were and what they knew so they could launch really well because they had a great audience and, you know, they had kind of already built a business, but they were like, I can't do LuLaRoe or Agnes and Dora anymore. So they'd come to me and I'd be like, great, let's do this. You know, the big holes truly were, number one, adjusting the retail pricing and the wholesale pricing and understanding that they could still charge what they did in direct sales and make a lot more money, like a, like a ton more profit. And also just understanding the assortment needed to be interesting. The great part about having a boutique is you really have so many choices with your product assortment and that can create some overwhelm and that can lead you down the road of being like, well, I need to keep my current customers happy and I have to carry all sizes and I have to keep things basic or when really what I found is anyone who is transitioning out of a direct selling company, I always encourage them to really dig into what their style was and make it as completely opposite from the company that we're coming from as possible. So like with LuLaRoe, I was like, you know, you need to do more denim. You need to do more patterns, more stripe, less leggings, more blouses. What's the complete opposite of a jersey knit something? Let's do the opposite of that. Even with, with Agnes and Dora, I'd be like, don't do florals. They're so oversaturated in florals. What can you do that's different? Can you do jogger? Like, you know, Agnes and Dora's assortment was a bit better than LuLaRoe's, but still it, it really was kind of flat. Um, in terms of like the style choices. And so I would always direct people to like really steer differently um, away from what they had been selling. And honestly, what we always saw was the current client base that they had for customers would be like, yes, they like eat it all up. They'd eat all the fashion up. They'd eat all the denim up, all the different stuff. If you eat cereal every day for breakfast, when you go out for eggs and bacon, you're going to be like, oh my God, this is delicious. <laughs> What is this? You know, um, it's just it's really you really have to like make that switch. And I think for a lot of people that made that switch and maybe didn't find me or didn't take one of my classes or, you know, didn't work with me. I think they struggled sometimes through some of that. You know, I think they thought, oh, I just have to do it on my own, but kind of do it in the same way. Um, but what I always found is that really hurt someone. And so, you know, I think it brought a lot of people into the boutique industry who probably started off really rough and probably ha and probably struggled because they just didn't really get the education that they needed and 
they weren't really tuned into what the assortment needed to look like or the pricing or there's some things that were off. And I found that really interesting as people would come to me and I'd be like, oh, this is your problem. You know, I kind of make the joke that LuLaRoe like sort of made up their own terms for things that were not industry standard like at all. One of those things was layers or layering. I'm la- I'm laughing. I'm not like making fun of it. I'm laughing because I literally can go to someone's website and if they have layering as a tab on their website, I'm like, did they sell LuLaRoe or Agnes Adora? Because that's not anything we ever talked about before. Like, that is such a weird, like, direct selling term. We always call those, like, third pieces or cardigans or, you know, layering. I was like, what? Like, you know, and I think that came out of when LuLaRoe tried to, like, expand their assortment. And they were like, okay, we have tops and we have, we have leggings and we have tops. Oh, let's add, like, a cardigan or a third piece. So they call it layering and like layering all these pieces makes it more interesting and we can sell more units and, you know, whatever. So I, I think it's always funny when I when I see the term layering because it is 100% something LuLaRoe made up. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I just, I think it's funny. They had their own language. I think it grew out of what they did and, and it's affected how we talk about things in the boutique industry. I think because a lot of people came from these companies where the standard mix of materials too, like the content of the materials that they made their products out of was really standard. I think there's a lot of people in the boutique industry now that don't actually know specific terms. So like they'll say like, oh, there's like a metallic thread running through this product. And I want to teach them like, hey, that metallic thread has a technical name. It's called Lurex. You have a Lurex thread running through here. Use the technical terms. You know, if you are a boutique owner, it would do really well for you to look at textile names and and use the correct words and someone will watch a Facebook live and someone will be like oh this is like a silk material and I'm like that is not silk do not tell your customer that is not silk you can say it's a silky feeling material we have to be really careful in the boutique industry to continue to educate ourselves on what materials and textiles are really made out of and using the proper terminology there's a lot of like laziness in terms of like really understanding what your products are and what they're made out of and also why they're made out of that, right? I have this huge issue with people who say, oh, things made overseas like in China or Vietnam are bad. We don't have the same machinery in the U.S. that they have in China or in Vietnam or in Peru or in Mexico. Like there are very specific machines that can only make specific fabrics and garments that we just don't have in the U.S. So when people come to me and they're like, I want everything to be made in the U.S., I'm like, That's a very noble cause, but you're going to miss out on some good products. The idea that factories in other countries are terrible working conditions and sweatshops and all that stuff, that's not always true either. I've, you know, seen pictures of factories that we used to work with that had daycare centers and work fitness centers and they fed their workers lunch and they fed them a fair wage. Like it's just, there's no blanket statement for all that stuff. And I just got off on a little tangent, but I do think that, you know, we owe it to ourselves as boutique owners to really investigate materials, care content, all that stuff, because it is important. And we're not just selling one thing. We're not just selling jersey knit leggings, right? With spandex in them. You know, I would say one of the biggest things that has affected the boutique industry, the amount of people who come into the industry asking, oh, this is, is it oversaturated or is there too much competition for me to start? 
one of the things that LuLaRoe that happened and we saw this in the documentary was they did not zip code protect you know it was just like oh four of your neighbors were selling the same stuff and yes great that they actually had different prints because I think that was really helped the problem of oversaturation but I think that what happened was like a bunch of people came in they opened Facebook groups they started inviting all their friends and then you know that happened over and over and over and then suddenly like everyone's getting invited to Facebook groups and the scarcity mindset of like oh is this oversaturated I don't believe in competition I don't believe anything's oversaturated if you have a product that's a really good product I think if you have branding that is great and you're providing something that a customer needs then there's room for you there's a saying community over competition you know, I don't really believe either. I, I think like at the end of the day, when you when you create too much community, that's where you can get in these situations like what um, we experienced with LuLaRoe where everyone was kind of a community and it, created, it kind of created a really bad environment where it was kind of like a mean girl society. There's a space and a time for having a community. There's also a really bad dark side to community, especially when you're in the same industry. I just feel like with competition, no one can compete with me. No one's going to be me. No one's going to be you. And I think we have to really latch on to that idea that competition does not exist. It exists in our mind. It exists from society. You know, it exists on the football field. If we create a brand and a business that has a unique voice, a unique product, and truly is a representation of our voice, it is never going to look and feel like someone else's. The trouble comes in is when you're feeling insecure and you're starting a business and you go look at what everyone else is doing and then, oh shoot, like your stuff starts looking like other people. I truly think with the idea of competition, like it doesn't need to be a thing. We've created it to be a thing. We, and when we believe in something, we give it more power. And so I'm here to tell you, like no one can compete with you. Stay in your lane, do what you feel is right. Get education from people that you love. Take inspiration from, you know, people that you think are cool. But like absolutely do not try to copy someone else. I see that happen all the time. I literally see people copying from other people's websites. Like do not do that. Figure it out. Learn it yourself. There is no reason for competition at all. Like we're all different. In my book, The Retail Mindset, which I don't know if it's going to be out when this recording comes out because I'm kind of batch recording right now to get ready for my maternity leave. But in that book, The Retail Mindset, my new book, I tell a story. The idea is that, okay, let's say you have, you go to a middle school tennis match. On one side of the court is a kid who is small, nimble, quick-witted, really light on their feet. On the other side of the court, you have a kid who's maybe hit their growth spurt early. They're kind of strong. They might not be as quick as on their feet, but they're powerful. They can hit that ball like really, really hard. That is still going to be a really fun match to watch because both kids are coming at it from their own perspectives. They both have their unique talents and strengths. And while it might be a competition because that's what a, the tennis match is, it's going to look very different for each of them. How they perform is going to be look very different. How they think and how they, you know, move towards the ball and how they hit and how they serve. It's all going to look and feel really different. But theoretically, that could be like a really well paired off match. Like you could be like, wow, this is really fun to watch. And so I think that's the perspective I want you to have. I want you to be like, yeah, I'm the big powerful kid who, you know, maybe I can't move around the court as quickly, but when I do get to that ball, I kill it. 
Or maybe you're the small, nimble, easy pivot drop shot kid who has a sneaky move back here and has a good backhand. That is what we all bring to the table. And so again, like I've taken this to the nth degree of this like, you know, competition over saturation, this weird mindset that we've all gotten into. I think it's been exacerbated a little bit by having so many people kind of have that mindset with the Lula Rose and the Agnes Doors because they were kind of oversaturated. It, it did get a little bit like too much too soon. That just doesn't really exist in boutique land. I think that we all have space to sell what we want, to do what we want. And to be honest with you, even if I were to open a boutique tomorrow, I would probably do it kind of differently than I did before. You know, I would have a different perspective. I'm older now. I might even open a kid's store, right? I, I think that's the other piece of it is we're all at different stages of our life. We're all addressing, you know, hopefully some of the needs we have in our own boutique business. We're addressing that through our product assortment and our pricing. And at the same time, there's room for all of us. You know, as the pie gets bigger, the pieces get bigger. And so, We've really got to move away from this crappy mindset that's drifted into the boutique industry, that there is competition, that there is oversaturation, because I choose not to believe in it. And I feel like I've given you enough reasons to now not to believe it. Um, and so hopefully, hopefully uh, you can get on board with me there. But yeah, I mean, I think that I think that it's been an interesting ride to watch how the boutique industry has been affected by the direct sellers like LuLaRoe and Agnes and Dora, I think probably it's going to even itself out as nature does uh, over the next three to five years. I think we're going to level off. You know, I, I always think there's going to be new people coming in. There's always going to be people leaving. That's just how it is. I've, you know, I've come in and gone out with my own boutique. I've seen plenty of others too. At the end of the day, it's a wonderful phenomenon that we got to watch. If you were part of it, if you were watching it, it's a wonderful phenomenon. And I, I really feel genuinely like excited that I got to watch it go down. And I cannot wait until the next example for retail history pops up so that I can study it and talk about it and get excited about it because I am a total retail nerd. I love talking about this stuff. That's why I wanted to make this series because as you can see, I've filled three podcast episodes with so much information, so much of my passion and my thoughts. Um, and hopefully you got something out of it. Hopefully like we were able to commiserate. Hopefully you learned something. Hopefully, you know, you took something away from it. For me, it's definitely like a fun thing to debrief. I really enjoyed watching the documentary. If you haven't caught it yet, it's called Lula Rich. It's on Amazon Prime Video. So if you, I think, I mean, we have Amazon Prime, so I guess we get it. I'm not totally sure on how that works, but I'm sure you can sign up for a free trial and watch it. It's like four or five episodes and it's, it's just interesting. You know, it's an interesting perspective. It's interesting to see what happened. Probably if you were in the, in LuLaRoe, you may be experiencing some PTSD. You may like have a lot of feelings come up. Please make sure you process those feelings. Please make sure you're working through that stuff and just remember that every experience we have in our lives whether it's a direct experience or um, you know something we we watch from the side, we have to make time to process and integrate that. Um, and I hope that it didn't bring up too many bad feelings. But anyway, thank you guys for allowing me to do this little series. Hopefully you loved it. Definitely drop me some comments uh, on my email at hello at stylishandsuccessful.com. As always, if you love this podcast, if you know you love listening to me, please, please, please rate, review, subscribe. All of that stuff helps me get the podcast to more people. Uh, we are moving into soon, I think our fifth season of this podcast. We'll hit probably like 200 episodes soon. 
and uh, inch our way up to a million downloads as we have been doing for a couple years now. Uh, but I appreciate that you're here and I appreciate that you stay and you hang out and you you all seem to like my perspective on things and you like enjoying listening. And uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. I will see you next time on the Boost Your Boutique podcast. Have a great 